0: The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Laura Urie. Each week I've really enjoyed seeing this mosaic of faces and smiles, each of whom are seeking the Lord with all her heart. And I know that each of you represents a home founded on the Word of God and the necessary truths that should permeate our witness as we represent Him. Tonight, we continue our study on the holy life and the joy that our life in Him brings to our existence each morning. This study The joy of loving and praying for our children is, I'm sure, an especially important area of concern on each heart here tonight. At whatever stage we are in as women, mothers, and grandmothers, I believe that we all carry some of the same concerns for those under our ministerial care. As our prayers are lifted on the behalf of our families each day, we ache for their spiritual condition and wonder what inner conflicts they are facing. We wonder if they are living victoriously in this complex and sin-soaked world. Personally, I am at a stage in my life where I'm beginning to turn and to look back, to reflect. I have raised my children and been able to witness their developing faith, their call to unique ministries, and begin families of their own. Looking back can be healthy, but also bring pangs of self-evaluation or regret. But mostly, I hope, thankfulness and the awareness of God's faithful leading, wisdom and provision at every stage. When I was asked to share on this topic, I was encouraged to share how Jesus led me to give a witness of what I believe the Lord has reaffirmed As the priorities needed when taking on the role of a mother. I must confess that I have found very little in life that has offered me as much joy and fulfillment as being a mother and a home builder. The world may not see it this way but we are privileged to be women. There has been a great satisfaction at this stage in my life to look back having been given the honor to be a woman of God, a daughter, a wife, a mother, and a grandmother, and now even a caregiver to aging parents. Nothing could be so blessed as to use whatever unique gifts that God has given to glorify Him in all that I do with joy and with thanksgiving. As a woman in Christ, our biblical calling is twofold. To be first a faithful disciple, and then to become an equipped and eager disciple-maker. For most of us, this ministry begins in the establishment of our home and our family, and out of the home is birthed the ministry that reflects our love and commitment to Him. G.K. Chesterton says of a home, The place where babies are born, where men die, where the drama of mortal life is acted, not an office or a shop or a bureau. It is something much smaller in size and much larger in scope. Home. Something larger and very significant is happening within a godly home where believers share a faith, commit to unified goals, and are always moving towards something of eternal value and purpose. Deny the lie that fulfillment is found somewhere beyond the walls of home, instead of embracing the power and influence found in it, right now, within your grasp and within your domain of influence. We may embrace the unique gifts of womanhood, but also prayerfully consider what changes might need to take place in order to make it or keep it a sacred place. Build up a home that can be set apart for spiritual blessing, sincere worship, and solid biblical teaching, a sacred place where Christ lives and that the work of the Holy Spirit is expected to be at work and acknowledged. All who enter should go away with the witness of what a Christian family should look like, how divine love is expressed, and therefore be encouraged in their faith. In his book, The Benedict Option, Rod Dreyer argues that a firmly rooted Christian home should be a mini-monastery. The goals are the same, the training for everyday life through prayer and preparation, always leading the dwellers toward a full Christian life for the sake of the world. And Carrie Grass has written a very inspiring book, The Theology of Home, where she reminds us that homes can evangelize, The language of a home is universal. The tasks that we bear to maintain a home, the caregiving, the cleaning, work their way into the fibers of a dwelling. We may not be able to get an unbeliever to our church, she says, but we may be able to get them to our kitchens and to our table, where if Jesus is present, then he will move as he chooses how he will speak to the needs of that heart in and through the nitty-gritty of our hospitality. I want to remind you of a promise from Isaiah 40 11 that gives us the image of Christ as the great shepherd, ever leading with love and tenderness. He will attend his flock like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. If I am to give testimony to anything tonight, it would be the truth in this verse that he is a gentle shepherd, patient, and will lovingly lead us that are bearing the young. I know that he cares about our role as mothers. The scope of influence we have is astounding and likely will be our greatest opportunity to make a difference in the world. Our impact is forever marked on their lives and no one will ever love them more. No one will pray for them more earnestly and anxiously. No one will trust in the shepherd for their eternal destination like we will. His presence is a certain promise to claim. I already suggested that as a woman in Christ, our biblical calling is twofold, to be a woman who is a faithful disciple. If so, then I believe that the ultimate purpose of our existence is to know him, to be in right relationship with him, to be pure in heart, pure in life, And with his leading and help remain as a ready willing disciple. So tonight let's preferably take the time to examine the condition of our own hearts before we consider the spiritual impact our homes have while we further seek how he may be leading us to be as effective as possible as we disciple and shepherd those within our walls. The familiar prayer of David in Psalm 39 is simple but to the point search me O god and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting this examination is personal the work he wants to do is beautifully unique to his vision for you and for me for our good so that we can live an exemplary life that reveals His gentle and generous work as a testimony to our family and to the world. In a lecture by the Colson Center, I found these thoughts about the model disciple necessary for our discussion. Mary is the most obvious model of a disciple in the New Testament. Her presence is seen in the Gospels and in the Book of Acts, even at Pentecost, witnessing the blessing of the Holy Spirit. She submitted when she didn't understand having to learn to trust and to live a life out of her faith as we do. She knew the Word of God, and that knowledge personally fed her obedience to Him. Her knowledge of the Old Testament was revealed to us in the Magnificat, in which she quotes from at least nine Old Testament books. So when the angel speaks to her, she remembers God's promises from what she already knew and recognizes God because she knows Him. Elaine Stedman, also from the Scolson Center Lecture, has this quote, Like Mary, we may, subject to God's Spirit, make Jesus Christ incarnate. By her example, a woman may teach family, church, and society the beauty and dignity of serving, nurturing, and loving, in order that the Lord Jesus Christ may live in us and among us. When we learn to live in this dimension, we will no longer be silent to the church or in society, but a living, vibrant mother to humanity's needs. To me, that quote is astounding. What a call. So, a faithful disciple we must be, which is evident in these qualities that we strive for. One, she has a basic commitment to the Lord of Christ revealed by her faith and obedience. Two, she sets herself on a determined, intentional path to know God, to find His will and calling. Three, she has a clear understanding of who God is, His story, and how Christianity is set apart from other religions. Four, she has a desire for greater knowledge and a hunger for the Word. She is eager to live a holy life and to be a living testimony of that is transformed and growing spiritually she desires to be a vessel used by God and she values and appreciates her own unique gifts and lastly she demonstrates a genuine love for God and others in Colossians three twelve through 17 we hear a most profound and clear statement of what it looks like when preparing our heart for his service Therefore, as God's chosen women, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So to sum up the calling of a disciple One is we allow him access to our hearts for examination, as we saw in the cry of David. And we accept the call to walk transformed, living out Romans 12, free from bondages, knowing that we steer the condition of our hearts by the decisions we make each day. Three is we equip ourselves to lead others into a knowledge of God. And this is important because we are invited to participate in turning faces to the light. In John 21:15, Jesus challenges Peter, If you love me, feed my sheep. Jesus asks Peter to demonstrate his love for him by caring for the Lord's people. And as a parallel, the call of the Christian mother is to demonstrate her love for him by caring for, equipping, and nurturing the Lord's people and the next generation. She demonstrates her love for others by living up front so that his work in her can be revealed as a living testimony, committed to the truth and wisdom available to her through her study of the word and her daily dependence on the promised presence of the Holy Spirit. And fourth, she will seek him with an obedient, surrendered heart. Ray Steadman says this of the Holy Spirit's work. The supreme ministry of the Spirit is to impart to men the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In John 16:13 and 14, Jesus said of him, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. But Stedman goes on and says, But it is designed to take them deeper into a fuller and permanent relationship that will involve the imparting of divine life. But faith must go deeper than doctrine. Knowledge is worthless unless it leads to the surrender of self. The wise have found that deeper level. They have a hidden supply, an extra reservoir, that continually feeds the flame of life, undergirding them in every hour of stress, of pressure, or disaster, keeping them firm and steady amid the buffeting pressures of life. They have found a friend who sticks closer than a brother. If you are privileged to be a mother or a grandmother, a caregiver, or plan to have a family or an established home, begin or refine your goals and objectives. Begin the journey by forming and establishing your vision on biblical principles. The home is where we meet God daily as his disciples. This beautiful Christian life is expressed first and foremost out of the brick and mortar of our homes. I've heard it said that Jesus comes to us in the common place. I believe home, where we live and dwell, is where he meets us every day and where hearts can be opened to him because of the unified fellowship within Jesus says in Matthew 6, 6, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to the Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Our home is a place where we should be closest to God. Is your home a sacred place where He is welcome and fellowship with Him is continually nourished? The Christian home should also be the most appealing place to be for our families knowing that it is a place of nurturing and a safe place for everyone. It is welcoming, life-giving, full of positivity and joy, and even physically nourishing and aesthetically beautiful. Home is where we find what is familiar and personal, of course. But most importantly, it is where our faith is lived out. It is where we live in the Spirit most earnestly. We are naturally homemakers, but I would urge you to be a home builder, considering the following strategy. One is to be a visionary. Start with the end in mind while envisioning the outcome, living with your faith resting on the promises. Set goals, be intentional in your preparation, and prayerfully write a mission statement. And be willing to pay the price to make it happen, spending yourself to reap the harvest that will come. And two, be a home builder. Build the foundation. Create a home founded on truth with an established biblical worldview. Intentionally and prayerfully prepare for the long-term journey. Begin by forming and establishing your vision on biblical principles. In Matthew 7, we read, The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. In Proverbs fourteen one says, Every wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. So what is this foundation? What is this rock? We may believe a certain way, but if our hearts approach to decision-making Is considered without his leading, or we are unwilling to remain pure in a world full of temptations and chaos, our steady witness to our children and others may lead, we lead, may not always reflect a solid faith. Do I live in the continual recognition of the presence of God and his authority, of my decisions, my character, my understanding of truth? Am I building my house with wisdom? Do my attitudes, actions, and words build up or tear down? Charles Coulson and Nancy Piercy, in their book, How Now Shall We Live, reminds us how critical it is to know what and why we believe with an established biblical worldview. They argue that the way we see the world can change the world. Every action we take, we are doing one of two things. We are either contributing to the broken condition of the world, or or participating with God in transforming the world to reflect his righteousness. The basis for the Christian worldview, of course, is God's revelation and scripture. So they remind us that genuine Christianity is a way of seeing and comprehending, comprehending all reality, subject to him, finding life's purpose and meaning in and through him. Understanding Christianity as a worldview is important not only for fulfilling the Great Commission but also for fulfilling the Cultural Commission, which is the call to create a culture under the Lordship of Christ. God does not only care about redeeming souls, but also restoring His creation. In Deuteronomy 6, we receive instruction to teach the truths to our children to point them to the love of the one true God with all their heart, mind, and strength. This is an intentional goal for the Christian home. Everyone builds their life around something, so what is central needs to be the established word of God, but all pointing to the Lordship of Christ. In John 1, we read about John's confrontation with the jewish leaders in jerusalem the sent priests and levites to ask him who he was he confessed freely i am not the messiah they asked him then who are you are you elijah he said i am not are you the prophet no finally they said who are you give us an answer to take back to those who sent us what do you say about yourself John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. These words of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah describes the coming Messiah as the Creator, John 1, 1 1-3, the True Light, John 1, 4-10, the One and Only Son, the Christ, John 1, 12-14 theologically the revelation of God. You and I like John are voices of ones crying out in the wilderness bearing witness to those three things the fullness of grace and truth found in Jesus alone. Making his way straight is getting these three things clearly demonstrated as truth that he is the creator the true light and the one and only son of God. Are we crying out Are we making his way straight? This is our foundation. John also said of him, I am not worthy to untie his sandals. Isn't it amazing that in all our unworthiness, as we are also unfit to untie his sandals, we are the ones that he has entrusted with the revelation of his face to a lost world. Be careful where you find your worth. Don't find your worth in the voices of the world or your peers or your own measuring devices. You are worthy because he has entrusted the kingdom of God to you and to me, his ready, willing disciples. We claim the whole world in his name because he is the light of the world and utterly indispensable. This, ladies, is our foundation. Knowing that he is the truth and making his way straight is our calling there's an artist's technique when composing a drawing or a painting on canvas called the path of vision or the golden ratio the strategy is to create in the work of art a focal point a dominant area in the work that speaks the loudest to the viewer observing it this point of interest enhanced with color or contrast or detail aims to have the viewer's eyes fixed there first Then the eye works its way around the rest of the canvas, looking at other parts of the image, and then always ends up back at that focal point. This path of vision is used to keep the focal point central. This same strategy should be used as we present the gospel and teach the truths that are fundamental and foundational to our worldview and Christianity. That Christ is central as well as his divinity, his birth, his death, and resurrection. So everything that we teach needs to come back to this focal point. Our eyes are fixed on him, being imitators of his mind and heart, and all other aspects of our faith and our witness remind us, taking us back to that central path of vision. Christ must be at the forefront of our teaching of truth, truth upon truth. Our foundation is built on a rock, and then another rock, and then another rock. These truths become our sustaining walls because our faith depends on all his promises and precepts that lead us through life. After establishing your vision and building a strong foundation, the third point is to create a home with life-giving, nourishing walls with heavily guarded gates, and a wide open door. What are nourishing walls? They guard the hearts within while strengthening the individual. They help them value what God has for them. The best is expected of them and they are encouraged and gently motivated while allowing growth and change to occur. Nourishing walls offer a hopeful expectancy of what God can and wants to do with each life. Ladies, your face can speak blessing. Your countenance speaks. As we are reminded in Colossians 3 that we already looked at, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. To us, they are like garments to be put on each day. So nourishing walls can be vibrant because the home is a place for learning. We talked about Deuteronomy 6, and we know that we're instructed to teach our children biblical theology, but there are so many other things that can be taught that will lead them back to these theological questions and opportunities for us to enhance their understanding and awareness of how to seek wisdom and truth. It is a place where we pour into them great books— moral stories that ignite their imagination while developing their vocabulary. We help them with critical thinking through discussions. We help them understand complex moral difficulties in history. And it's during these times especially we need to be listeners, not only teachers, and not always aiming to correct their thinking. Being approachable builds trust and opens up great opportunities for eager conversation, developing their own ability to think as Christ wants them to, and to stir their heart to reflect his. We get to tell them all about our great God by teaching them about nature, about creation, about great people who use the wisdom that God gave them to live lives of obedience and to make good choices and accomplishing extraordinary things. We get to teach them about great people of humility who learned a lesson and had to submit and surrender to God. We have an opportunity to teach them about people who claim great understanding with philosophies that may affirm or contradict him and work against the Christian faith. We also get to engage our children in the arts, in music, and working with their hands to develop their interests and passions. We get to teach them self discipline, how to complete tasks, and how to serve one another when each other are ill or have needs. We are working to encourage them to appreciate their place in the family, to respect each other and the uniqueness of each family member. Your children should grow to be friends and through their lifetime be an encouragement to one another. Wisdom includes not just what to keep out of the home, but what to welcome, and what to nourish within it. Know your sheep. Nourishing walls don't evaluate or criticize your child's uniqueness or your family's potential along the way. Remember the long vision by being a planter of life-giving words that strengthen. Do not tear down your own walls by losing sight of the investment you are making. And one tip is, yourself is to know your own unique gifts and use them to contribute to the family. Don't wish for other gifts, but use what you have, whether great or small in influence. Value your usefulness to him. He has equipped you and will make the ordinary extraordinary. The fourth area, be a tiller and a gardener, pour and keep pouring remembering that half-heartedness may reap regret. Pope St. Paul VI said, every mother is like Moses. She does not enter the promised land. She prepares a world she will not see. So as we invest in this next generation, we must realize that the results are in God's hands. We are only accountable to our own obedience. Terry Gress Quotes, we see this in the faith of the mother who knows she will never see the ful- fullness of her efforts in the lives of her children and grandchildren before she too is called home to her reward. The Christian legacy is always, as 1 Peter one four says, an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So even so, we continue to pour and to keep pouring. I want to remind you of Stedman's quote. They must know this, that all their lives they are going to need wisdom and guidance beyond themselves. The instruction we give them is to follow the Lord's truths and to treat truth as a way of life to guide their decisions. Transferring their dependence on us to God. Our goal is to raise our children to live successful Christian lives apart from us. I can envision here a tree firmly planted as described in Psalm 1. The roots are firm. Even though the environment, the circumstances, the effects of time and impact on that tree may change, the foundation remains. And the fifth point, be a revealer and a shepherdess, a living testimony with a transformed life and revealing the heart of God by living a disciplined life committed to prayer and holy living. This quote by Henry Ward Beecher has been in my Bible for more than 30 years. The mother's heart is the child's schoolroom. This is a very humbling thought. But ladies, your children will know your heart, likely more than anyone else will. They will know what you value. They will know if you care about the standards and appearances of the world more than what Christ values. Show them that you value what Christ has for them above your own dreams and hopes. Be the living expression of God's kindness in your smile and in your eyes and let them read the divine love right off your face. Remembering that I cannot pour into my children what has not yet been poured into me. But God's dreams and plans for our children are greater than our own, so teach them to desire the will of God for them. If we are judging what he can accomplish by what we see in their childishness and their immaturity, we are forgetting that he can make extraordinary things out of the ordinary. Again, claiming this long-term vision of hopefulness. Personally, raising my children were the happiest and most fulfilling years of my life, and I would love to have them again. The questions they asked got bigger and grander and more difficult, though. My kids' questions used to be like, Mom, is there a stick in every country? Mom, can you do backflips down the stairs? The complexity changed as they begin to ponder greater and more significant questions, such as how they are to live for Christ, or to forgive someone for a wrongdoing, or how to discern the will of God. Being prepared to answer those questions through your own abiding, continual reliance on Jesus and, of course, a dedicated prayer time for their souls will reap a harvest. I can still recall the day when my first child came to me saying, Mommy, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. And just a couple of years ago, his oldest son committed his life to Christ as well and was baptized. The day came that I realized that my teenage daughter was called to full-time mission work in Southeast Asia and witnessed her faith and commitment as she prepared and waited for his leading and provision. There's no greater challenge to my faith, but also no greater joy. It's his work, his desire to bring them to a knowledge of himself. I am a participant dedicated to prayer and obedience in my own life, but always pushing them to develop a personal relationship with him so that they learn to lean and depend on him for themselves, to teach them what he has already done and what he promises to do just for them. Slowly my hands come off so that they might be equipped to endure the race set before them and have victory over the evil one. This is the eternal perspective and this is the thrill of hope we have in what he can accomplish with a willing heart. Our wide open door has two primary purposes. One, as we have discussed, all this work and preparation is a way to remind us that they are not ours. We enable them to leave and to be sent out equipped and ready with our blessing and joyful expectation. We are given a task and the blessing of witnessing their growing faith, but the goal is to enable them to depend on the Lord in such a way that we know that He is leading them. We release our own expectations, motivations, and desires for them. We find joy in watching how the Lord establishes their faith and their homes and their dependence on Him. We give them back to God with that thrill of hope. The second purpose for the wide open door is to use our home, our resources, our family as a witness to offer generous hospitality to our children's friends and to those that the Lord brings along our path. 1 Peter 4, 9 and 10, Maintain constant love for one another. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. We may picture this as someone who has a lot to offer and to those who have much to share, but biblical hospitality is more about creating opportunities for our homes to be a testimony of the heart of Jesus for the lost. Your hospitable spirit that is pleasing to the Lord requires being a refuge for one another, a safe harbor that provides a calm sea after the storm. Don't save your hospitable attitude for when everything is in order or your home is perfect. Think more about what your heart and spiritual resources have to offer. Let's ask ourselves, am I the kind of friend, mother or grandmother or co-worker that others come to for calm seas, for refuge, for encouragement? Do I offer unconditional love and is my home a witness and a blessing to my children and their friends, a neighbor where they trust us to be a safe harbor? If not, what will it take to be this for another life? less pride, more warmth, forgiveness, a sweet spirit. How many of us know women like this that people are just drawn to? They offer blessing, they offer a listening ear, physical nourishment, and a safe refuge that quietly allows Jesus a voice. The spirit of a godly woman is a powerful tool in revealing the love and the heart of God. That is my prayer for each of us today, that we would be safe harbors for those in our realm of ministry, and that the evidence of His work within us would be our greatest testimony. Our homes and people in it are the most important platform we will have. Preparing for any ministry will be lived out on the flesh within your walls, and how they minister to all who enter. And keep in mind that the spirit of hospitality is not only for those with homes, but it can also happen out of a stinky dorm room, a bench in the park. Our children will learn to have this attitude, but we need to be faithful with our example. Also, these wide-open doors offer us an opportunity to witness lives being transformed. A spiritual openness happens when people are in our home, A spiritual relationship is allowed to begin, and watching a life begin in faith and seeing God's work within them is impossible if we are not in fellowship. I've had many opportunities to witness this, but one example stands out when a woman from China came to Wilmore to teach Mandarin. She came declaring that she would not consider Christianity, but wanted to sit in on on a Bible study. She allowed us to pray for her, and she welcomed the fellowship, and at one point I told her that there will come a time when the Holy Spirit will speak to her and give her the opportunity to enter the life of faith through Jesus Christ. Months passed, and the day did come when I received a call from someone else in our group that she had entered a life of faith. Soon after, we attended her baptism right here in Wilmore, and she was a testimony to so many who had witnessed her transformed life. To witness a life transformed is an amazing sight. And to see someone come out of darkness into the light and witness God's miraculous hand is a gift to witness. But imagine this. She is the first Christian in her family. We have years and a wide heritage to look back on. The testimony of generations before us, but she looks back at nothing. She has no heritage of faith to lean on. So she is now the pillar for the generations to come. Lastly, I know that this body of women are committed to a disciplined prayer life. Keep praying. Likely very few will pray for your child throughout their lives. So it is the most generous gift that you can give to them and to your grandchildren, an eternal investment of time and thought. All other gifts you give them will fade, and if you are now feeling hopeless because of a lost child or a grandchild, do not loosen your grip on all of his promises. Do not live like a woman without a God. Recently, I've been listening to a podcast um, by Nancy Guthrie, a theologian. She lost two of her three children to a genetic condition, and she says that when the storm came in my life, it's not that I was unaffected by it because I was, but I wasn't destroyed by it, not because I am a strong person, but because I am tethered, I am joined, and I have taken hold of Christ who is a strong person. And then when asked why she didn't turn away from God and against him in pain, she talks about shallow theology, which is just learning about God but biblical theology is knowing God and having an established and trusted covenant relationship with Him. Our belief in a sovereign God is crucial to the stability of our faith during life's traumas. If you read any book on prayer this year, let it be The Daniel Prayer by Anne Graham Lotz. She urges us to see prayer as life's compass and always keeping life centered on Him. Again, our prayer life is based out of our home. She highlights Jesus' instruction in Matthew 6 to pray in secret, at home and out of sight, and Jesus Himself often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. She says that privacy in prayer not only matters, but is essential. We must be alone with God, isolated from all props of human reason or help where we hang on God alone and get in touch with the fountain of miracles. If we want to pray in such a way that heaven is moved and nations are changed, we must have a secret prayer chamber. Lots also urges us to prepare for our prayer life, to have an established place to pray. My daughter, Bethany, who is a missionary in Thailand, begins her day following breakfast with her children on the kitchen floor next to a little love seat, reading scripture and praying and singing songs. Susanna Wesley had a place to pray, and it was under her apron. Her children knew not to disturb her if her apron was over her head. Also, lots reminds us, saying, we need to have an atmosphere for prayer. For Daniel, three times a day, he opened his windows toward Jerusalem and was faithful, even as a slave in an incredibly hostile environment. We need to have an attitude for prayer in all circumstances with thankfulness. The key to thankfulness, she says, is not to view God through the lens of our circumstances, but to view one's circumstances through the lens of God's love and sovereign purpose. God may not call us to life of comforts and ease, but he does call us to greatness. She continues, We must be compelled to pray because of the problems in the world. Prayer must be central to our Christian life. Privacy matters, sincerity matters, common necessity matters, and humility matters. I know that I am out of time but let's consider these questions to ask the Lord to point out anything in our heart and in our home's foundation. General Peddle of the Salvation Army urges the church to be battle-ready, take responsibility to raise and nurture the generations, equipping and discipling the future. Be beyond reproach in behavior, free from bondages, Be engaged in service and involvement in the Great Commission. Is this where we are tonight? Am I participating with God and his salvation plan, knowing that I am invited and entrusted? Am I expecting to see him? Am I equipping myself with the knowledge and the wisdom from the word of God? And am I arming myself with the power of his word? Am I filling minds with the things of God? Do I praise him often knowing that the name of Jesus should be spoken with reverence as well as often? Am I praying with my child daily about concerns and with a heart of thankfulness? Do I listen to their requests then remind them if possible of how God has answered? Do I look in my child in the eyes when they talk to me and don't finish their thoughts and sentences for them do i put value on their ideas and their accomplishments but stress even more importantly the quality of their character is my vision wide enough to believe that he can accomplish extraordinary things beyond my sphere of understanding and my own line of sight General Osborne penned these words and said of them, In my own case, my own spiritual condition, my inner harmony, my contact with God was the first source and fount of anything I could write. I must be at peace with myself, with no inner contradictions. I must be in touch with God, not with just facts about him. And he wrote, Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me all his wondrous compassion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me.